Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a trusted resource in our communities. Smart Talk is also supported by UPMC, dedicated to pursuing and pioneering treatments that will one day be the standard worldwide. For more information, visit upmc.com slash happening today. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF. I'm Scott Lamar. The U.S. is in the middle of another COVID-19 surge, this one driven by the Omicron variant. Almost two years into the pandemic, one of the frustrations for the medical community, and really all of us, is the unpredictability of the virus. And that includes knowing where there will be a surge. Researchers at Penn State may have found one way to predicting outbreaks, pinpointing areas where residents are most likely to comply with CDC mitigation guidelines. Dr. Robert Lennon, an associate professor of family and community medicine at the Penn State College of Medicine, led the research, and he is with us today. Dr. Lennon, welcome to the program. Now, this seems simple, or it makes sense, but what does this research tell us? Scott, thank you for having having us, and I agree with you. It does seem simple. Interestingly, though, epidemiologic research is fairly rare to this level of granularity, and that's why there remains this continued argument about do these public health recommendations work or don't they? So what this research really adds is that they do help. So we looked at, uh, at the time, four public health recommendations, what people should do, what, what, they, what they shouldn't do, and ask people whether or not they would comply with it. And then we looked at a very granular level down to the level of county COVID infection rates at what happened afterwards. And what we found is, uh, not surprisingly, as you mentioned, that the more people complied with these recommendations, the fewer cases there were. One of the other big additions is the, the bang for the buck of what these things do. A very small increase in compliance of 3% led to a very large decrease in COVID cases of 9%. So that's quite a gain for a very small improvement in terms of public health behaviors. Is that the big takeaway for you that what you just mentioned, that uh, there you can see a cause and effect? Very much so. And and again, this is because this isn't mathematical modeling. This is really not a model. It is a description of reality. This is what actually happened. Um, Of course, this was not for the Omicron virus in particular, but because it was for coronavirus and because Mathematica enabled us to do a a national demographic sample, it is not much of an extrapolation to say, certainly for any coronavirus or really almost any respiratory virus, we would expect to see similar numbers. So in the event you are curious about, is my area likely to have an outbreak or is my area doing well? We can simply ask the question of the population, how many of you are following these public health recommendations? And if the answer is very high, you should have fewer cases. And if you can increase that number, you can predict that you could have a 9% lower rate over the next 30 days. Now, this research was conducted last year. As you mentioned, it was before Omicron, well before Omicron, just a few months into the pandemic. As I said in the introduction, One of the frustrations of this pandemic has been the unpredictability. Let's face it, a lot has changed in the last two years of of this pandemic. 
Is that research in your mind, does it still, is it still, um, I don't want to say relevant, but do you think that all the uh, information that you you gathered from last year, in the spring of last year, uh, still relates to what's happening now? And that's a phenomenal question for any research, absolutely one you want to ask. And my answer is, without question, it does. We were so early, we were actually asking questions before masking. The reason it becomes particularly relevant now is as we have these max, you know, mask refusers, we can look at our research and say, okay, even among the mask refusers, we can decrease infection rates if we can get them to do other things. That's a value. This also suggests the value of diligence in maintaining our habits. So one of the worries we have in the medical community now is COVID fatigue. Everyone's just tired of hearing about it and they're tired of doing it and they're tired, you know, they're tired of washing their hands and socially distancing. And what this helps us do is say, no, no, we need to keep it up because we have proven that it works and it works to a great degree. If you can simply get the people around you in your neighborhood to do these things more, you will decrease your infection rates over the next month. And that's what really makes it valuable. With that uh, in that uh, COVID fatigue that uh, you describe, one of the things that has happened recently, and it's it's been going on for some time, but recently because there's been some confusion with CDC guidelines, it's, it's polls have shown that there are a growing number of Americans who have kind of lost confidence or are confused by CDC guidelines. This may have been too early for you to tell, but going forward, do you think that would have an impact? It, it will. And even at this early stage, when, when we first started this, the CDC, the European Commission, which is the, the European equivalent of that, and the World Health Organization actually had different guidelines. So it was very confusing. And when we talk about a, a unified global response to a pandemic, it's, a, it's kind of impossible when these, these organizations have different guidelines. I think the lack of faith in CDC stems more from how they have presented information than that their information is bad. It's very difficult for most of us to accept that a lot of science is guesswork, especially early on. So all of the early recommendations were based on what we knew about other respiratory viruses. That's not specific, and it's going to change as we get more information. I think in an effort to gain more confidence early on, there were recommendations made with a lot of authority that were really should have been presented as, we don't know for sure, but we think this is accurate. One example of that is mask wearing. Early on, the CDC said, don't wear masks. And as data came out that showed that mask wearing really is pretty effective, both for preventing an infected person from passing the disease on and also from contracting it from another, they changed their recommendation. And some people looked at that and said, well, if you changed your mind, you must not know. Early on, it could have been said, hey, we, we don't think you should wear masks. These are why. We continue to study it. And as we get the information in that says, you know what, this really works. I think people will have confidence in that as we become more transparent about how much of this is best guess. And as we refine over time, the refinements are based on hard data. So the later the recommendations, the more science backs them. By the way, where was this uh, research conducted? So the research was uh, physically conducted out of Penn State Hershey, 
The survey information was done uh, globally. The data that we published in this paper is based on U.S. respondents. So that was um, about 10,500 uh, U.S. adults. They were from all 50 states, uh, almost all zip codes. And I almost hate to ask this question because everything is political today. But uh, as you probably know, uh, whether to comply with uh, guidelines, uh, rules, a lot of this is is political and uh, your political affiliation or who you supported for president, that kind of thing. In your research, did you find politics had any kind of impact in this? We, we did. In fact, uh, the very first polls that came out on COVID were all political polls. Our research was one of the first to avoid politics entirely. We did not ask anything about politics, but we did ask for qualitative answers. In other words, we gave people free reign to say whatever they want. They could type whatever they wanted in for their responses on some open-ended questions. And overwhelmingly, in this non-political survey, we got political responses. Uh, people were very upset about the politicization and the media sensationalism of what's going on. I, I think now this um, the politicization of behaviors is very concerning. It's open to demagoguery, but I also think it's overblown. The reason I say that is many would say that if you are um, conservative or rural, you're less likely to get the COVID vaccine. All the, all the polling that's asking people their intent to get vaccines shows that. But if you look at the actual number of vaccines received, far more people in rural and conservative areas are getting the vaccine than say they're getting it. And our thing, our thinking is that perhaps uh, these people are they're not they're not, they're hearing that their neighbors aren't doing that, so they're afraid to speak up. If we could encourage folks to speak up, perhaps their neighbors would realize, okay, we're rural, we're conservative, we're still going to get the vaccine because medically it makes sense to do. Uh, you know, it's it's proven safe. It's now been given more than pretty much any other vaccine in the history of mankind. Um, if you are, if you can tolerate a vaccine in the past, the chance of you getting harm from the vaccine, this vaccine approaches zero. It's exceedingly rare. Um, so of course you should get it. Uh, people, you know, the, the, the anti-science crowd that talks about the persistent infection after vaccination, that's been true for every vaccine ever. Uh, vaccines aren't perfect. What they do is they improve your response. Even if you get COVID virus after a vaccination, your sickness during it is much lower. You're much less likely to die. You're much less likely to go to the hospital or the ICU. So, of course, even if it doesn't protect you, given the relative harmlessness of it, it's, a, it's kind of a no-brainer to take it. Dr. Robert Lennon is an associate professor of family and community medicine at the Penn State College of Medicine. Dr. Lennon, thank you very much for being with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.